Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. This episode is sponsored by R.W. Knutson Organic Just Tart Cherry Juice, a welcome addition to anyone's sleep routine. Pace Case, if you know me, and you do, mm-hmm. you know that I'm yeah. working all hours of the day, all hours of the night. Mm-hmm. So the sleep that I do get has to be very good sleep. And I'm always looking for ways to up my sleep routine. Sometimes I'll read a book to go to sleep. Sometimes mm-hmm. I'll- the Bachelor? Uh, that book keeps me very awake. It's very engaging. That never puts me to sleep. Mm. I will sometimes just put down my cell phone after a long day of looking at a screen. It's nice to get some time away from the screen. I also will incorporate some R.W. Knutson Organic Just Tart Cherry Juice. It truly makes you go to sleep a little easier. It's the thing you need to help you drift off into the dreamland. Mm. As more and more people are looking to prioritize sleep, organic Just Tart Cherry is having a moment thanks to Tart Cherry's potential sleep-related benefits and potential to aid in muscle recovery when you get those gains like clues. We're seeing this in the viral sleepy girl mocktail trend on social media. R.W. Knutson has a whole lineup of natural juices with zero added sugar, so you can feel good about adding them to your wellness routine. It's all about celebrating those daily wins. Organic Just Tart Cherry Juice is made from tart cherries, which may help you get a better night's sleep because they have natural melatonin. R.W. Knudsen crushes only 100% real ingredients, so you can crush everything you do. Pick up a bottle at your local grocery store today. Clues. Underwear drawers... They're not organized. They're like the the Wild West, the final frontier of wardrobes. Mm. And there's no rhyme or reason to them. Y- you got ones that are super old, uh, different brands, etc. You don't know what to expect. But now I have felt the buttery soft comfort of me undies. And now I want to replace the whole drawer with me undies because those are my now go-to. I'm currently wearing their long sleeve shirt and my, um, <laughs> which is not what this uh, ad is about, but I am also wearing the super soft, sustainable modal fabric thong with no roll black waistband. You want that. You don't want it to be rolling. You don't want it to be showing. And I'm hooked. I don't want to wear anything else. It's all got to go now. Well, this ad actually is kind of about that pace case. Everybody knows MeUndies <laughs> makes great underwear. It's in the name, Me Undies. But it's not just about underwear. You can explore the lounge collection featuring comfy joggers, hoodies, onesies, and a whole bunch more. And their Move Me activewear collection is the softest activewear on the market. There's no doubt about it. Right now, you can get 20% off your first order plus free shipping at MeUndies.com slash roses. 
That's MeUndies.com slash roses for 20% off plus free shipping. MeUndies, comfort from the outside in. Pace Case and I are still in our glorious one week off in between the finale of Michelle Young's Bachelorette Season 18 and the premiere of Clayton Eckerd's Bachelor Season 26, which is happening next week. It's Monday. It's right around the corner, and we're going to be back to give you a full game breakdown of night one. Bachelor Season 26, they're back in the mansion. They're back doing international travel. It's going to be crazy. We have some new things planned as well for our show, so be sure to, be sure to tune in for that. And today... What I have in store for you is another trip down memory lane. We did an episode where we went through the rookie season of the greatest player to ever set foot in our beloved game, Nick Vial. This was our recap of his entire rookie season. That was Andy Dorfman's season of The Bachelorette. We had so much fun doing this. It gave us such greater insight into not only Vial as a player, but how the game used to work back then and really where it went after that, how Vial kind of changed the game with some of the things that he did that season. So we hope you enjoy. If you're a new listener to Game of Roses, this is mandatory listening. And if you've been listening for a while, hopefully you'll enjoy hearing Pace Case and myself redo all these things that we talked about in Nick Vial's rookie season. And we hope you're having a great holiday. It's the Game of Roses. Welcome to the Game of Roses. This is the Game of Roses. Welcome to the Game of Roses. We proudly present the greatest players from the greatest seasons in the history of our beloved game. These are the All-Stars. This is our inaugural offering of Game of Roses All-Stars. This is going to be a segment that we're going to do from time to time where we put a spotlight on one of the greatest players in the game's history who had a very, very good season. And we really break down why they are considered to be one of the greats. How we want to do this is basically focus on one season of play through the perspective of one player. And who's the best all-star to start with? Of course. We wouldn't start a series like this without giving you the very best. What you're about to listen to is a fucking treat. Savor it. Enjoy it. We are about to break down for you the first season of play ever. The rookie season of the greatest player in the history of our beloved game, Nick Vial. That's right. We are about to go through every play he made on season 10 of The Bachelorette. This was Andy Dorfman's season. The first time we got to see a young, virile Nick Vial. Before we do that, we're going to give you some stats on Nick Vial for this season. His RQ score, that's Rose Quotient, which we have discussed on past podcasts, is 1.77. Now, for those of you who don't know what a Rose Quotient is, you want this number to be as close to zero as possible. 1.77 is extremely low. It is, therefore, an extremely good score. To get the Rose Quotient, you assign every Rose that player gets a point value. You get zero points for a Rose acquired outside of a Rose ceremony, and you get a point value that is equal to the placement of the Rose within a Rose ceremony if you get one in a Rose ceremony. 
So first flower gets one point, second, two points, etc. And if you get a first impression rose, that's zero. If you get a group date rose, that's zero. One-on-one rose, zero. Final rose, zero. And any kind of weird other exotic rose that may pop up in the course of any given season. There are some outside of those parameters that also can yield a zero point value. So you add all those up, you divide by the total number of roses, that gives you your rose quotient. And once again, Nick Vial rookie season rose quotient, 1.77. Insane. So low. To get under two is basically fucking impossible. So to do that, to get this incredibly low rose quotient, which again is just a a measure, an indicator of how good you are at capitalizing on opportunities to get roses when they are put in front of you. We know that he is highly competitive. We know that he is highly successful in competition based only on this number. And we also know that he understands the game. And that is what we are going to see illustrated time and time again as we go through every play he has made this season. Honestly, watching back through this season, I had always been skeptical of Nick Vial being the greatest player of all time. This season, his performance is impeccable. It blew me away. Where did you start getting blown away? Was it on night one? Because that's where every season begins. And this season was no different. So we're going to take you now step by step through each week of this season and what Nick Vial did to garner, ultimately to garner the title greatest of all time. He wouldn't get that until after Caitlin Bristow's season, after Bachelor in Paradise, after his own season of Bachelor. But this is where it all fucking started. This is the foundation on which he built a house of greatness. (laughs) And it began in his first appearance on night one. The men are arriving in the limos and we get some B-roll inside a couple of the limos. And for a brief flickering moment, we see a baby-faced 33-year-old Nick Vial smiling with a slightly sinister eyebrow raise in the back of one of these limos. And that's it. He's on screen for a second and a half, two seconds maybe. This is his first appearance. And we understand immediately this is a game for this man. And he is fucking excited to play it. All of that is conveyed in this small shot. And everyone watching would get the same exact reaction out of his two seconds of screen time. If people went back and watched it now after listening to our podcast, they would. Look, (laughs) retrospect. It's all retrospect. We didn't know who fucking Nick Vial was going to be at the beginning of any of this. We had no idea. But now we do. And you can go back and you can see what was in his mind in these moments. We get to his limo exit. Now, we talk a little bit on this podcast about the various types of limo exits. Everything from a grandy, which is a grand entrance, which means you don't ride in in the limo. You come in in a sports car, on a horse, in a giant paper airplane, whatever the case may be. That is known as a grandy, and these are high-value limo exits. There's stand-up or standy, where you come out and you tell a joke. There is It Takes Two, where you engage the bachelor or bachelorette in some kind of activity, throwing a football, dancing, and you require their assistance in it, etc., etc. The lowest limo exit you can do, the simplest, the one that has no flash, no excitement, is called the bland entrance or blandy in opposition to the grandy. And guess what Nick Vial does? Blandy. He does a fucking blandy. He emerges from the limo, smiling, takes a deep breath. He walks towards Andy Dorfman. 
They have an awkward exchange about her dress. She compliments him on his polka dot tie, and they agree to talk more once he's inside the mansion. That is literally it. That is it. This is how the greatest career in Bachelor history begins, with nothing, with humility. He's just coming in and saying, here I am, let me see what this is about. You can tell he's nervous, but he's taking all of this shit in. You can see him learning. You can see him starting to understand what he needs to do to win. I can anyway, when I watch this. <laughs> Later that night, as always happens on night one, you go into the mansion and then you get some one-on-one time with the bachelor, or in this case, bachelorette. So on Nick's 101 mini date, he is sitting down with Andy and he's telling her that he came from a large family. He's employing his family game. He has 10 siblings. Tells her he grew up more like a father figure. He's implying, I'm mature with this statement. She likes that. And Andy says there's something sincere and modest about him in her confessional. He just stood out to me. He did a blandy. Just to remind you, he has a brief, seemingly innocuous conversation about the size of his family, but what he's done in it using certain elements of neuro-linguistic programming, body language, certain nonverbal cues, he has made this impression on her. And this is going to pay off because guess who wins the fucking Fimp Rose? Nick Vial. It's him. It's Nick Vial. He wins the fucking fimp. This is the first impression, Rose. He is immediately a force to be reckoned with. This is the equivalent of uh, somebody having their first at bat in Major League Baseball and hitting a fucking grand slam. Getting the fimp rose, statistically, is virtually impossible. You have a 1 in 30 chance, roughly, to get this thing. And he does it by doing almost nothing. A blandy and just a straight conversation about his family and he gets the fucking fimp. He's already operating on a degree of psychological manipulation that these other players can't even understand. And this is night fucking one. They don't have a chance. He accepts this fimp rose. He's kind of awkward and sweet about it. And he, I don't think, realizes in this moment that this early success on night one season 10 of andy dorfman this is going to give him a high that he will be chasing for the rest of his life as he continues to play this game trying to win trying to get that thrill of the fimp of beating everybody because in that moment he's the fucking champion whoever wins the fimp rose is the winner of that night bar none there is no other way to qualify it And he's going to be trying to have that feeling again and again and again for the rest of his time in this fucking horrible franchise. And of course, we know that he's never going to get it. There's also a huge statistical advantage if you do get the FIMP. About half of the FIMP Rose recipients make it to at least hometowns. So you can basically coast for a while. His reaction to getting the FIMP is he says, maybe she felt bad because I seem so nervous, which is a a line that he employs a few times this season, conveying that he's for TRR. He calls it back in hometowns. And uh, week one, Nick Vial gets no dates this week. But this is not going to stop Vial. He utilizes every second of time that he does get, and he takes on the first responder role at the cocktail party. This is where he brings her her drink first and grabs her to talk to her first. He gives her a homemade date card and takes her on his own one-on-one mini date 
with champagne and strawberries that he has set out by the fireplace. He's playing the Fimpros here perfectly. He's laying in the cut, riding on the high of confirmation bias, and he cringles her. He gives her the date card. He gives her the champagne. It's an unbelievably high-level play for someone who didn't get a date this week. In that conversation, he uses some incredible lines such as, what are you looking for and what haven't you found? This is conveying his seriousness in the process, that he's there for TRR. He invokes his parents and the longevity of their marriage. This is, this is a huge conversation piece in many, many dates on The Bachelor. And he agrees with her that he doesn't want to settle. Andy says, I feel like you're reading my mind. Because he fucking is. He's putting on display his ability to read and manipulate people here, which we're going to see over the course of his career is pretty unmatched. He's doing it at a master level in fucking week one. He gets a Rose ranking of nine, which is his worst ranking of this entire season. But often FIMP Rose recipients get this to counteract that FIMP frontrunner target. And that's something done by the producers, by the way. Because the producers know that the order of laying out roses in the rose ceremony is meaningful to the viewer. And so if someone were to get the FIMP and then first flower, first flower, group date rose, that per- you know that person's going to win already. So when somebody gets a FIMP, it is very usually the case that the producers will bury them somewhere lower in the rose ceremony order. They won't make them last, though. Last rose is almost exclusively reserved for somebody who was in a dramatic storyline that episode. So it behooves you as a player, just FYI, if you're out there listening, potential players on Matt James' season, it behooves you to stay out of all dramatic dust-ups over the course of your season so that you get a higher rose placement. So then we come to week two. This is technically a domestic travel round. They go to Santa Barbara. (laughs) And Nick, guess what he gets? The first one-on-one date to reward him for the last week of not getting one. And the date card says, let's ride off into the sunset. So he meets Andy Dorfman on the pier. They bike through town. They walk in the water at the beach. And back at the house, the producers are now starting to trump up a story between two players about Nick being their 4TWR, just seeing it as a game. So we're already in week two, and the other players have started to accuse Nick of only playing a game. The other guys can see what the fuck is going on here (laughs) in week two. Then they continue their one-on-one date in a hike that culminates in a romantic moment at sunset atop a rock. This is a classic picnic date. And he expresses healthy skepticism and says he's had a tough time not knowing where he stands. And Andy convinces him, it's all a risk and you have to be vulnerable in the process. So when Andy says that you have to be vulnerable in the process, he can't know this yet. But these exact words will be said by himself to players when he's the bachelor. (laughs) The foreshadowing of this season, when you watch it back and you see him as a player and then you know what he did as a bachelor, it's fucking incredible to see. I can't recommend watching this season more. At the end of this date, the motherfucker pulls this high level shit. He raises his love level to love level one by telling her he has a crush on her. And his skepticism 
will be his wall in this. That is going to be the main obstacle he's got to overcome. I have a crush on you, but this whole process is weird. I don't know about all this. He's laying the groundwork for what will become a textbook run through a season. How you have to erect a wall at this point, you have to lower it at this point, you have to raise your love level at this point, you have to use your PTC at some point. It's fucking genius. And then that night, the one-on-one continues at dinner, and he says all of his close friends are married. And she says, why do you think you're not? And here we have it. He lays that fucking PTC right on the table. He was engaged to somebody else for a minute. An immature relationship at 27. And now he's waiting for the right person. This is the wall game. He is saying, I've had heartache in the past. And now it's going to take the right person to get back in there. And he loves this answer. It's a challenge to her. Makes a lot of sense. She feels that he's being more open. And she knows that although those walls are there, her goal is to get through them. And so he's now given her something to do, a task. And (laughs) in terms of bachelors and bachelorettes, for them to feel like they have somewhere to get with you, that there is a narrative happening with you, it is incredibly important. You can be a floater for a little while without this. You might even make it to fucking international round without this. But if you want to make it through the whole game, you have to create a story of your relationship with a bachelor or bachelorette, and he is creating the beginning of it here. He then goes on to tell her that he believes thinking there's only one person for everyone is unromantic, and he defines love as that, making a choice to be with somebody, not trying to find this perfect person. And he says this, I quote, We know we could find someone else and we don't want to. We work on that one and cherish it. To me, that's romantic. He has issued a formal definition of love. This is beyond high-level strategy. It almost transcends the game. Most players will never do this. They will say what kind of person they're looking for or the kind of love they want to experience. But to say this is what love is, beyond mind-blowing. And this is where, for me, in this season, knowing nothing else, let's say that I didn't know he was Bachelor, BIP, all that shit. When he does this love definition, that for me is the moment where you're like, oh, he's playing a different game than the others. He's also mirroring exactly what Andy has told him before. And so when he does this offhand comment, to me, that's romantic. It's so insincere to me. It's like he's trying to play it off so casually. You know, I don't know. I'm just weird, but that's romantic to me. Nothing he does is sincere. He's playing the game and he gets rewarded for it here. She gives him the fucking one-on-one date, Rose, and he seals it with a fucking kiss. It's their first kiss. He is now initiating the chemistry game. He is taking his strategy to the next level. It's not just words anymore. It's not talking about my family, what I think love is. Now I'm going to kiss you. Now chemistry is involved. He has elevated it. Expertly, perfect timing. It's exactly when and where you want to do it. To finish off this date, they ascend to the top of this building. They look out over the city, more kissing, escalating to full makeout. Chemistry game is now fully in effect. And later in this episode, the producers give Nick a little confessional video in which he illustrates something that may seem completely innocuous to the casual viewer, but not to me. 
because I'm definitely not, not casual. I am not a casual viewer at this point anymore. In this confessional video, he talks about how aware he is that she's had a group date and a one-on-one. And he calls these things by their producerial names. Group date, a one-on-one. Not that she went on a one-on-one date or she had alone time with a guy. He calls it a one-on-one. In using the terminology that the producers use, he is right here telling us all he sees it like the producers do. He sees it as a game, that these are modular components that he needs to figure out how to deal with. Again, this episode is the one where it really crystallizes like, oh, fuck, this guy's playing a game. And he just lays it out for us right here once again. Then he does this thing later in the night that was fucking... I don't even know how to describe this in terms of its value. But it's cocktails before the rose ceremony. Andy Dorfman is talking to this other player, Eric Hill. When some flowers are delivered into their fucking conversation, a man comes up with a thing of flowers while they're talking. He's like, hi, special delivery for you. Of course, they're from Nick. It has a long note that comes with it. She is so flattered by this. She is sitting across from this guy, fucking Eric Hill. She just stops talking to him, takes the note out of the flowers and starts fucking reading it to herself while this poor fucker is just sitting there like, oh God. And then she's smiling from ear to ear as she's reading it. Eric Hill then, in his own confessional, openly admits that it threw him off his game. His mouth went dry. He said he couldn't speak. And this is high, high level play. Of course, this is what the game is all about. Sabotaging the other fucking players within the context of the rules of the game. Bouquet of flowers isn't just me trying to fuck you up. It's for TRR. Hey, Andy, I want to show you how much I appreciate you, how much I like you. It's not about this other guy. Yes, it is. That's all it's about. The flowers truthfully are incidental to Nick Vial. It's just how can I fuck that guy over? And he does an expert job here. Yeah, this is one of Nick's many many kringles he gives andy many gifts both in flowers and in words throughout this season and then nick has his own little one-on-one conversation with her at cocktails he takes her out in front of the mansion this is an expert move to take the bachelor or bachelorette away from the group location so that you can isolate them this is a another cult building tactic (laughs) he employs it expertly here uh makes it feel like they have the world to themselves and That location specifically in front of the mansion also recalls back their first meeting subconsciously. It's a brilliant fucking technique. He gives her his jacket. They kiss. All of these are very traditional kind of actions, as were the flowers that he gave her that night. He's using kind of a classic romance toolkit here on her. He tells her that he wanted to give her the flowers to do something he would normally do for her outside the experience. He's now future casting. This is what our relationship's going to be like if you wind up with me. I'm going to give you fucking flowers every day. He's excited about having real feelings, he said. His walls now are starting to come down. In the span of one week, one episode, he erected a wall. He raised his love level. He cringled. He successfully sabotaged. He called back to first meeting. He future casted. What do you say? What do you say to this? No one even, no one, I just, I'm at a loss for words. That's all I can say. (laughs) You know who's never at a loss for words? Nick Vial with his strong word game. And he employs this during week three. They travel to Connecticut. Nick is on the first group date. It is a sporting competition. It's a basketball game. We have certain players, Brian 
is a basketball coach. Josh Murray was a pro baseball player. Certain players have a huge advantage here. Nick was a college athlete, but he did track. So we're wondering whether he has hand-eye coordination. We don't see if he does. We don't see any of his plays. But the players are are split into two teams, and it's a play-for-time uh, competition, which means that the winners are going to get more time with Andy that night. Nick is on the Rosebuds team with the basketball coach Brian on his team. Uh, his team wins. He doesn't specifically have any extraordinary play, but the Rosebuds get the extra time at the after party. Nick starts his time on the group date cocktail portion with a kiss, keeping his chemistry game strong, hand-holding, and he explains to her how hard it is to be on a group date. He's still scared, but every moment is better than the last. And Andy says, he really sees me. And Nick says, I really like you, Andy, which is another love level one. Brian, the basketball coach, gets the group date rose, though. And then there is a moment later in this episode. Marcus is on a one-on-one date with Andy. They are rappelling down the side of the hotel that the guys are staying in, right in front of the window where all of the remaining guys can see them. We get a single shot of them from inside the room, and all of the guys are huddled up on the window, looking up at Andy and Marcus, banging on the window, laughing, all embroiled in jealousy, all but one. As these guys have their attention focused on Andy and Marcus, Nick Vial is standing five feet away from them, back turned to the camera, casually leaning against the wall. He's not watching Andy and Marcus. He's watching the other guys. He's watching his competition, taking in every piece of information that he can, and they don't even know what he's doing. He's studying them. He is a predator. They are his prey. He gets first flower that week. Rose ranking number one. And then we come to week four. The international round. All of our players in our bachelorette are going to be going to Marseille, France. There is a bit of drama starting to bubble up at the house. And we all know the producers do this from time to time. They try to instigate fights or make one player mad at another, or or what have you, to blow shit up. And a baseline rule is you just never get involved. Even if they try to specifically involve you in it, walk away from that shit. It never ends clean for you. The thing that's starting to bubble up this season is there's a player named Andrew. Andrew essentially is accused of calling another player, Markel, a racist name. Nick was supposedly there when it happened, as was another player named JJ. So they're all having this conversation. It's Markel, JJ, and Nick. (laughs) And Nick just fucking sidesteps the whole goddamn thing. He was there. He was an eyewitness to this event. He sidesteps the whole thing. He essentially says, you know what, JJ, I'll let you tell it. And then he just sits back and watches. JJ is now directly tied to this as the one tattling on this other player, Andrew. Markel is the one who's the victim in this. And Nick is just standing on the sidelines watching it all develop. So then we have the group date. 
in Marseille, France. And for those of you who saw this season, you might remember it. They forced all of the guys to go to mime school, put on fucking mime makeup and clothing, (laughs) and then go perform impromptu mime dances and pantomimes in a fucking public square. No one wants to be doing this, clearly. But as we know in our beloved game, you have to pretend like you love everything. So they go out into this public square and they start miming. The bystanders, for the most part, are horrified by this. None of them want to interact with any of these guys. It is a nightmare come true. It is probably a mocking of their culture. Some of the guys are doing pretty well. They're dancing around. They're entertaining some little kids. They, at the very least, all seem to be enthusiastically attempting to engage with this date. And that really is all you're supposed to be doing on a group date, is showing the bachelor or bachelorette that you're down for anything. You can have fun in any situation. Those are your primary functions as a player in this. (laughs) Not Nick. Nick fucking hates it. He's standing (laughs) off to the side. He's not doing any fucking miming. He has a shitty look on his face. And he blames it. Not on miming and his hatred for the art, but he blames it on the weird nature of group dates. But we know that that's not actually what's going on here. He doesn't really give a fuck about the miming. The thing that he cares about most, the reason he's really pissed, is because this group date takes away his best weapon, speech play. (laughs) This man can talk his way into and out of anything he wants. He can gaslight. He can fucking convince you to do something you wouldn't otherwise do. He's a master at being able to talk his way around things. And for this entire day, they have to fucking be mimes. He cannot say a word. For him, this is a wasted opportunity. He just has to stand there and do nothing. Later that night, we're at the group date cocktails. And a player called Cody calls out Nick about his vibe of thinking he's smarter than other people, perceiving himself as a front runner. Well, news for you, Cody. He is smarter than other people, (laughs) and he is a front runner. So, uh, you discovered the truth, I guess. But basically, all the other players start piling on. They're attacking him for being too confident, too arrogant. And Nick asks for an example. This is a high, high level psychological play. We've seen it from time to time in other seasons as well, where a player gets called out by someone and then they say, great, give me an example of that. Or they even turn it to the other players. Does anyone else feel like that? It's taking an accusation and then spinning it back around on the accuser. If you can't back it up with proof, the accusation falls flat. If other people don't agree with you, the accusation falls flat. And Nick is doing this just off the cuff. I mean, it's like as soon as he gets accused of it, he's like, okay, give me an example. And of course, Cody can't. So Cody just pivots again. He asks, do you think you're the front runner? Nick says, yeah, probably. Another expert play. It's not just about confidence. It's about conveying this idea now in all of the other players' minds. They are thinking, fuck, is he right? Is he the front runner? Why does he feel that way? So not only are you conveying to these other players that you're more confident than they are, you are now putting seeds of doubt in every one of their minds that maybe they have no fucking chance. Just high, high level play. He's established dominance at the idea that he's not bothered how these other guys feel. And he establishes himself essentially as being in a league of his own where these other guys are still trying to figure out what's going on. He's already won the game. Later, Nick has his own little one-on-one conversation at these group date cocktails. And Andy asks him, why are you so pissed? She saw him acting like a fucking (laughs) asshole at the mime date. And he again hits this thing, group dates are unnatural for me. 
She's concerned about him not giving in to the group dates, not giving into the process. And then she says, he sees me for exactly who I am, and there is this mental and emotional connection that's off the charts. So we see this shit again is working. His ability to read people and tell them what they want to hear has convinced her that he knows her. But now he's got his voice back. He ain't a mime no more. Now he's just a dude in a fucking bar. Andy says she feels like she might be being manipulated. And she's right. But it doesn't matter because he's so fucking good at it. He just rolls right by that. And he pulls out another fucking Kringle. From his pocket, he produces a handwritten note. It is a fucking poem. I'm going to read it for you now. This is entitled Andy by Nick Fayal. Andy, when I see you, I smile. When I see you, I blush. When I see you, I get nervous. When I see you, my chest bursts with excitement. When I see you, I see beauty. When I see you, I see strength. When I see you, I see purpose. When I see you, I see a future. Nick. (laughs) Gorgeous. As we know in our beloved game, these handwritten notes, poems, what have you, they go a long way. And he really is doing a kind of letter writing campaign this season. After he finishes this fucking poem, she smiles. All of her doubts about him trying to manipulate her and all this, they're just fucking gone. The poem was like a magic spell. <laughs> it fucking glimmered her like a goddamn vampire. And she says, so are you going to kiss me or what? And then he fucking smiles and leans in and he's right back to his chemistry game like he never skipped a fucking beat. It was as if that mime date did not happen. And then she asks in a confessional, am I oblivious to who Nick really is? She can sense something is fucking off here, but it almost doesn't matter because he's so good at it. It's like that little creep of doubt in the back of her mind just gets fucking steamrolled anytime she's talking directly to him. Andy knows what she's going to do at the end of this week. There are no cocktails and Nick gets flower number two, a very high placement at the rose ceremony. Next, it's week five. We travel to Venice, Italy. And Nick gets another first one-on-one. This is a when-in-Rome type date. It's a standard tourism date where the couple is basically engaging in a variety of tourist activities for which that specific city is known. So they go on a gondola. They're walking around the city holding hands, sightseeing. They eat pizza, take photos with pigeons on their heads. And they're kissing all over the city. Nick does a very strong play here. He apologizes for the group date in the past episode where he had a salty attitude being a mime. And he says that he is afraid that he might lose her. And he literally says to her, you were right. I was wrong. Nick has learned from this huge error that he had last week. And he has vowed to never do it again. He can't fuck this up and essentially wipes the slate completely clean. She accepts this apology and he and Andy float on the gondola under a series of bridges in Venice. And this is a historic moment. Some of you casual viewers may not remember this, but in season one, 
the very first Bachelor, Alex Michelle, does the exact same thing in the second episode where he and Lenice go on go on a gondola in the Venetian Hotel in Vegas and they have to kiss under each bridge. And they call that back here. And that was the very first kiss in the history of this entire franchise, Alex, Michelle, and Lenice. We call it back here. Nick Biles' play is now woven into the history of the game. He's linked to the very first kiss we have ever seen in this entire franchise, and he accepts this honor flawlessly. They make out under each bridge, and it's said when you go under the bridge, you have to kiss, and it will grant you eternal love. In the dinner portion of this 101, Nick's in a tuxedo. They're at a private fancy dinner. Uh, It looks like the ballroom from Beauty and the Beast. The producers have set him up for extreme romance here. Andy brings up in this conversation him being a villain to some degree. She's still not sure if she's getting the real Nick. He says that he feels bad about being called a villain. Andy asks him, do you think you're a front runner? This is a tough conversation to handle, and he handles it expertly. He says, I don't like the word. He says, I feel like we have a great connection, and I don't think anyone else has that, and you're my number one priority. So he's basically saying, I can't be on my best behavior around the guys because I'm not worried about the guys. I'm just thinking about you, that she's the priority. And he says that he is glad that they can have these difficult conversations. This makes it real. This is an extremely high-level play. Only one or two players per season can usually pull this off. Because he's basically saying, you're accusing me of being 4TWR. I'm so not 4TWR that I'm an extreme 4TRR. I'm here for the right reasons. Anything that's coming off, to a different effect is just because I'm so for TRR. And one thing I also want to bring up is when she asked him, do you think you're the front runner? He was asked this exact same question by one of the other players fucking one episode ago. And he was like, yeah, I am. Dude. <laughs> yeah. When she asked it, he's like, well, I don't like that word. He knows that he's playing different games to different audiences. And that's something that all high level players understand. You are playing a different game to the producers than you are to the other players, than you are to the bachelor or bachelorette, than you are to the home audience. Uh, Nick then takes this opportunity. He senses, you know, he's not safe and he ups his love level. To love level three, he says, I'm definitely falling in love. If he didn't wipe the slate clean with his apology to her earlier in this date, he definitely wipes the slate clean with this upping of the love level. You can't give the man his words back because he'll spin him and he'll have you spinning. He gets the one-on-one rose. There's all kinds of kissing here. They put on masks and dance in the courtyard to a private three-piece band. And later in this episode, at the cocktail party that night, Nick already has a rose going into it. And he does something here. Not only does he take time away from people who maybe didn't get a date or on a group date, don't already have a rose. He swipes Andy before she can enter the fucking room. He is the first responder here yet again. This is such a high level play. And 
especially executing it when he already has the rose. It's exerting dominance all over the other guys who he's already been like, yes, I'm the front runner. Not only does he grab her first, he takes her out of the room. He makes out with her immediately. He reinforces their strong chemistry game. He's letting her know that like, he just has got to talk to her. It's such a strong move. And it makes the guys are so icy to him when he comes back. They don't like it. Chris Souls, Prince uh, Farmington, calls him out for being arrogant. And Nick reiterates, I'm not here to make friends. I only care about my relationship with Andy. And then we come to week six. We're going to Belgium, everyone. Six guys left. There's going to be two one-on-ones and one group date. Marcus and Josh Murray get the one-on-ones, if you'll remember sweet Josh and his love of pizza. This is the week before hometowns. A crucial week in any season. So Marcus comes back from his one-on-one date to the hotel. All the guys are around Marcus. Hey, how'd it go? Da-da-da-da-da. Pretending like they give a fuck. Nick doesn't give a shit. And he's not pretending. This motherfucker sees Marcus come in and just fucking walks out the same door almost before it fucking shuts behind Marcus. He's out in the hotel roaming the fucking lobby. He goes up to the fucking front desk and says, excuse me, I'm looking for the room my wife is staying in. (laughs) Andy Dorfman, please. We all know knock-knocks can't happen without the producer's involvement. They have to help you do this. They have to help you set up these late-night rendezvous with the bachelor bachelorette that are outside of the context of group dates or cocktail parties. And we know that this little bit is scripted, where he's coming up to the desk and doing this fucking bit about being her husband. All that said, he's playing to a different audience here. He's now playing to the viewers at home, to Bachelor Nation. We are the beneficiaries of this little scene. Oh, he's so cute. He's asking for his fucking wife. Ha 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 ha. The producers helped him do it. The other players don't know about it. Andy doesn't know about it. This is just for us. He's doing this. It's a gift to us. He's cringling us, (laughs) the viewers. And it's working. Also something to note, though, his bad acting starts to shine through right here when he's at this front desk. It's just terrible, abysmal. Anything (laughs) scripted, this guy can't handle it because he knows that he has to lie to someone. That's where his true talent is. And if everybody knows it's acting, it doesn't quite work. So nonetheless, he gets this knock-knock. He goes to her room and once again, expertly takes her away from the experience. He gets her to agree to go on a walk with him around the city at night. It's extremely romantic. It's building this world for just them. This is an experience that the other guys have no part in because it's not taking place in that hotel. High level fucking play. He tells her on this walk that he's saying things to himself like he's going to marry her. Again, using this future casting technique that's also implicitly raising a love level, although he's not overtly doing it yet. And then they kiss and they make out under the streetlights. He essentially has generated his own one-on-one date out of fucking thin air. And this is exactly what you have to do if you're not given these opportunities. You have to create them for yourself. And he is just doing it on a level that I don't even think these players he's playing against are aware this is possible. I don't think any of them are thinking this creatively about the game. 
let alone executing those creative plans to such a high, high level. No, the other top player, Josh, uses his time with Andy to facepalm her aggressively. Clues, underwear drawers, they're not organized. They're like the the Wild West, the final frontier of wardrobes. Mm. And there's no rhyme or reason to them. You got ones that are super old, uh, different brands, etc. You don't know what to expect. But now I have felt the buttery soft comfort of me undies. And now I want to replace the whole drawer with me undies because those are my now go-to. I'm currently wearing their long sleeve shirt and (laughs) my, um, (laughs) which is not what this uh, ad is about, but I am also wearing the super soft sustainable modal fabric thong with no roll black, waistband you want that you don't want it to be rolling you don't want it to be showing and i'm hooked i don't want to wear anything else it's all got to go now well this ad actually is kind of about that pace case everybody knows me undies <laughs> makes great underwear it's in the name me undies but it's not just about underwear you can explore the lounge collection featuring comfy joggers hoodies onesies and a whole bunch more and their move me activewear collection is the softest activewear on the market there's no doubt about it right now you can get 20% off your first order plus free shipping at meundies.com slash roses. That's meundies.com slash roses for 20% off plus free shipping. Me undies, comfort from the outside in. Support for today's episode comes from One Skin. If you have sensitive skin, you're going to want to hear about One Skin's scientifically proven topical supplements. This is face, eye, body, shield, and it can all be used with any of their other products, which are free from over 1,500 chemicals and preservatives that can make skin red, irritated, or itchy. Their products are safe for sensitive skin. It's just one of the reasons they've earned the Skin Safe seal of approval. You got to keep that skin glowing if you want to be keeping up the level of face play that I've got going on. And OneSkin was founded by an all-woman team of scientists. Their products are backed by extensive lab and clinical data to validate their efficacy and safety on all skin types. Uh, Their topical supplements are the easiest way to keep your skin healthy and hydrated without the harsh ingredients or irritation found in other skincare products often. OneSkin is the world's first skin longevity company. By focusing on the cellular aspects of aging, One Skin keeps your skin looking and acting younger for longer. Get started today with 15% off using code ROSES at oneskin.co. That's 15% off oneskin.co with code ROSES. After you purchase, they'll ask you where you heard about them. Please support Gore and tell them that we sent you. Have you ever experienced a dry, itchy scalp or ever wondered why your color isn't lasting as long as your hairdresser promised? Well, unfiltered, mineral-filled water could be the reason why. Did you know hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin? And that about 85% of the United States uses hard water filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered showerhead comes in. Known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, Canopy is dermatologist-recommended 
This unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water. Best of all, the Canopy filtered shower head is hassle-free, installation's a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement. Go to Canopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered shower head purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, Gore listeners can use our code ROSES at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Then the next day at the hotel, we get a group date card and Nick is on it. And he says, (laughs) I'm excited to go on this group date so that I never have to go on a group date again. He knows hometowns are coming up and he knows that This group date is the last group date of this season. Little does he know he's going to go on so many more fucking group dates in his career. Hundreds of thousands of group dates. Just in rewatching, it's a a little Easter egg for you. (laughs) That is pretty funny. So on this group date, they go to explore a castle and then they get on rail bikes, which are these strange contraptions where the guys are all pedaling like bicycle style, and she's sitting in a chair in the middle of all of them, and they're going down train tracks. And Andy says, we should play a game. Nick immediately has a suggestion. None of the other guys even open their fucking mouth, and he goes, let's play rhymes. (laughs) This is a game that we have seen him play in many seasons. He does it on his Instagram Live all the time, where he will issue a binary choice, do you like sweet or salty? And then somebody says whatever they fucking like. And he just keeps coming up with these binary choices. Now, this is a throwaway moment in this episode for sure, but it is so fucking telling of not only him, how his brain works, but how he views games and how he gathers information by issuing these binary choices. He's hoping to get the answers from Andy because it gives him some sense at least comparatively, of how she makes decisions. And he's absorbing this information. Again, it seems throwaway. I'm sure many people think it's innocuous. But now after years and years have gone by, and I have seen so much shit of Nick Vile do this exact same thing to so many people, it is definitely a part of his basic manipulation toolkit, how he begins to understand the person he's trying to manipulate. And I believe he is writing a book where that is the premise of it. It's questions with Nick. You got to be shitting me. I think he's turned this into. (laughs) So someone posted it on Reddit, I believe, and it wasn't clear whether it was a joke or not. But if he is writing a book, it is questions with Nick based on his Instagram stories. Fantastic. Well, I'm glad he's found another revenue stream. (laughs) So after they get off of these rail bikes, they come to an abbey at a monastery and they're told it's sacred ground. There's one rule here. No kissing within the walls. Again, one of Nick's primary weapons here is taken away. His chemistry game this season is stronger than anyone else's by far. It's one of the foundations of how the producers are even presenting their relationship. And now, in this moment, he cannot do it. They're sitting on a bench within the walls of the sacred ground monastery, no kissing allowed. And he tells her he can feel her falling in love with him. This statement, It's an almost impossible move to actually pull off. He's implanting a love level raise for her in her own mind. He's saying, I know 
you're falling in love with me. You don't even have to say it. This is a fucking Jedi mind trick (laughs) of the highest order. And it really requires a supreme level of confidence to be able to tell someone that and have them not refute it or laugh at you or whatever. It completely fucking works. And then you think his chemistry game was strong, but you see in this moment when he's forbidden from using it, that it is the strongest. (coughs) He fucking leans in and doesn't kiss her. I repeat, does not kiss her. He tells her he wants to obey the sanctity of the environment that they're in. He can follow the rules, he's telling her. And there are some things to him that are sacred. This, in her mind, gets transposed to their relationship. If he's willing to make these sacrifices for this monastery, what will he sacrifice for me? Everything. Andy is biting her lower lip. She wants him even more after this. And guess what happens, guys? What? Nick Vial gets the group date res, of course. <laughs> I just can't convey enough to anyone listening how expert he is at doing this shit in this first season. And he gets to do it again in a subsequent season. And this group date, Rose, comes with more time. He's rewarded with a private dinner. And while they're out at dinner, the other guys back in the hotel are talking about how he's analytical, how he knows every episode of The Bachelorette, how he's always analyzing the game and strategizing. So we get this moment where we now are let behind the curtain a little bit. We get to see what he's talking to these other guys about. And he has apparently watched every episode of the show, developed strategies, and openly talks about it with these other guys. Now, that may be a mistake in the contemporary game, but Nick Vial was really one of the first people to start doing it, to start using the lexicon that the producers use, and to start seeing it as a game in an overt way. So I think he just didn't know how bad that was going to look ultimately and didn't know that it was going to be something he was going to have to contend with. It's pretty incredible also that they call him a game player and say he's analyzing the game and they don't even know the half of it. They don't know about his knock knock. They don't know about his lean in and not kiss her on sacred ground. They don't know any of that part. They're just taking it off of what they can see of him. It also conveys the stupidity on their part that they don't think it's a game. There's a big trap in 4TRR when you go into this game. Yes, you have to convey it, but you can almost never actually mean it unless you really do. If you're really there for 4TR, like uh, Catherine and Sean Lowe scenario, then yes, by all means, make it to the end, get married, have your babies, all that shit. But ultimately, this idea that you have to be there for TRR. It's what you convey to the other players, the producers. It's what you convey to everybody. But inside, uh, 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 you can't. And so Nick Vial is playing this game and these other guys are like, oh, he's playing a game. He's not here for the right reasons. It's like, neither are you, you dumb fucks. Wise up or lose, which is what happens to almost all of them. So back on their dinner bonus time, it's fun. They're happy. He's kissing her. There are fireworks that come out on this date. That's a huge gift from the producers. If you get the fireworks date, it means you're definitely a front runner, one of their favorites. They kiss under the fireworks. And then back at the hotel, the guys are still discussing Nick's gamesmanship when he comes back into the room. They give him the silent treatment. 
You can almost see him licking his fucking lips at this. He is salivating, ready to fucking devour them. He's like, oh, you're going to give me the silent treatment? This motherfucker loves nothing more than to be isolated, than to be pitted as an adversary against someone else because he has supreme confidence in victory at all times. They attack him about being too confident and getting in people's heads. He just fucking gaslights them straight up hardcore just some traditional fucking gaslighting you guys are making things up well you know the last couple seasons very well and he goes yeah i watched every episode of desiree's season he says it in a way that was like why didn't you how could you not do that coming into this experience the tone that he has in this response is you're fucking stupid for not having done it but we now realize he broke down this game before he even came in chris soul says You talk way more about strategy than you do about Andy. And he once again says, great, can you give me an example? Nope. No one can give an example. So immediately that argument is cut off the fucking knees. Chris Souls again says, you obsessively talk about date cards and who's going to be the next Bachelor. Josh Murray accuses him of being there for the wrong reasons. And he just deflects. You know what, guys? We handle things differently, he says. And that's about all you're going to get out of him. You're not going to bait him into this shit. He's going to fucking dance around you and then just fucking cast you aside. Ultimately, he says he doesn't give a fuck what the other guys think. This is in HTMF, not here to make friends. He just fucking blows him out of the water with that. Then he tops off this week with a nice little fucking cherry on top of his victory Sunday. He's already got the rose. He's got the group date rose from the lean in, no kiss, sanctuary monastery date. (laughs) And Brian's out back talking to Andy. And this motherfucker walks right up to them and steals her. He already has a rose. He already had extra bonus time dinner with her. He doesn't give a shit. Now he's just toying with these fuckers. And he tells Andy in their one-on-one conversation, he knows he has a target on his back and it's tough, but he's excited for his friends and family to meet her and he produces tears of joy. The motherfucker cries on command This is an extremely high-level strategy, especially for men on Bachelorette. One of his best weeks, I think, in this season was that week. Yeah, this is his first of four tiers, but he wields them expertly exactly when he needs to. And Nick goes into week seven, hometowns. He brings her to Waukesha, Wisconsin. Nick gets the first hometown. Uh, They wear cheese heads and they walk around his town Nick is continuing his strong chemistry game. They're making out everywhere. Uh, they go to a brewery and drink some beers. This is a, a, to- a classic tour guide date. They do some polka dancing. And then we get the meeting of the family where they go to Nick's parents' house, the house where 11 children were sired. He has this huge family. There's 100,000 people there. Uh, Nick talks to one of his sisters and tells her that he loves Andy, loading his love level four. The sister thinks it's quick, but Nick says it's real. He's playing to that audience of the viewers, conveying for TRR. One of Nick's sisters tells Andy that she's afraid and doesn't want to see him get hurt. And then we get what I feel was one of the strongest plays in the meeting of the family, Andy talks to Nick's little sister, Bella, who we will see in many iterations of this franchise. She's 
maybe 10 years old, she grills Andy. She says, what do you like about my brother? And Andy says they have a good mental connection, explains it to the child. And then Nick's child sister cringles Andy. She reads out loud a handwritten letter to Andy, like brother, like sister. She's using these words, continuing Nick's manipulation. Andy eats it up. And then (laughs) Nick has Bella, his child sister, report to her, and he grills her for information. And she's like, I don't know. She said she liked you or something. And then he's like, she said she loved me. And she's like, wait, no. And he berates her for not being able to remember all the specifics in this conversation. And Nick regrets that he hadn't recorded the whole thing. He's trying to basically gather all information that's possible at all times. And then Nick talks to his mother, this woman who had 11 children. It's all I can think about this episode is that she had 11 kids, that she has been pregnant for almost her entire life. And Nick, in this moment, pulls out his second tears of the season. He cries to his mom about how much he loves Andy. His mom gives her blessing. It just, it conveys so much for TRR in this moment. This is the first of two times that we're going to see Nick's mom approve of women on Hometowns Week. And then she's going to approve of two more women when Nick is the bachelor. And she seems so genuine in it. She's just like, I want him to be happy. And I, I eat it up. The audience eats it up. The tears are working. Andy then has to do a memory test where she names everyone's names that are on their wall, which is filled with hundreds of thousands of vials. And she gets them all right. It's the perfect family play. They're all welcoming and accepting and give Andy their blessing. And Nick makes out with Andy in the auto zone right outside the car at the end of the hometown. But he conveys something here where he looks into her eyes and she can tell there's something on his mind. She says, what? He says, nothing. He's teasing love level four in this moment. He is conveying so strongly through his eyes and his chemistry game that he is at a love level four. But Nick knows That family date went so well, he doesn't need to play it here. He could have raised his love level. It was loaded. But he does this calculation here, knows he's going to make it to Fantasy Suites, and he holds it, puts it back in the deck. He knows this family play is strong enough to advance, and he saves it for the next round. It's fucking brilliant. The next part of this week, it's not really related to Nick's play, but it was incredibly interesting to me. Um, All of the players go to Chris Harrison's house, except for Andy. And Chris is like, Andy's coming. I have big news. I'm going to tell you all. And then once Andy gets there, he breaks this news that Eric Hill, one of the players who already went home, the one who (laughs) Nick interrupted his one-on-one time by sending that bouquet of flowers, uh, has passed away in a hang gliding accident after he went home and they all react to this on camera. Then they have this moment where all of the producers and the people who are off camera come in and all do a group hug. 
And you'd think, oh, maybe this moment is too personal, too intense. The camera guy puts the camera down on a table and goes and rushes in to hug. So they're like, we're going to get this on camera. It's a horrifying moment to look back on. And I wonder if they would still handle it like this today. They probably would. Nick kind of hides his face, staring blankly. And uh, at that rose ceremony, he gets third flower. Rose ranking three. Which leads us into week eight. Fantasy (laughs) sweets. God. They're going to have their sexual ceremonies in the Dominican Republic. Guess who gets the gift of first entry? Nick. It's Nick Vial. This is an intensely beneficial position for a variety of reasons, especially for someone like Nick Vial, who is adept at these types of situations. You essentially are going to be setting the tone for the sexual game, the sexual comparison for the rest of the fantasy suites for this bachelorette. Depending on what kind of sexual game you want to play, you can potentially make a run for bachelor here. You can potentially make a run for ring here. You can do a lot of stuff with it. And we will never know what actually happened behind closed doors. We have some theories. We will get to those. (laughs) Whoever the producers allow this, the producers are giving them a huge leg up, I feel like, over the other players because you have more leeway. If you're stuck going last, it's like... You're fucking last. Sorry. There's not much you can do except whatever you can do on that date. You can't set up any psychological traps or games. You can't plant seeds in somebody's mind that they then have to think about over the course of the next two people. Getting that first entry is a huge, huge gift from the producers. So their fantasy suite starts with a get to the chopper. This is a helicopter ride around the islands. He loads the sacred words in a confessional. He says he loves her. Then they kiss in the chopper. Chemistry game's strong. They go to a private island for a picnic, which is very common in these fantasy suite dates. Picnics are, I would say, probably statistically the most common thing that they will give to these fantasy suite dates where you have them sitting on a blanket or in the grass or whatever in some kind of beautiful location overlooking a waterfall or coastline or what have you. Drinking and talking about their feelings. Nick takes the opportunity to take her out into the water. The show loves to give these water makeout sessions to people on Fantasy Suites as well. He obliges. He fucking leans into that chemistry game. She calls it adult romance. He talks about his bad breakup, that he didn't want to talk to anybody and was a mess for six months. And he brings up the engagement. Nick says she broke it off and he was embarrassed because his ego was bruised. He's on the verge of the sacred words here, but he doesn't quite say them. Not yet, but what he's doing in this conversation is lowering the wall. He put that up near the beginning of the season that he had been in some of these bad breakups. He's had some heartache, and now he's starting to let her in in this conversation, and he's rewarded here as they go snorkeling and make out in the water. The chemistry game seals the fact that she accepts what he said was true, and she knows it was hard for him to say. At dinner, Nick says this line, it's not good gameplay. It's not anything really. It's just (laughs) something that I really liked. He says, I'm definitely quirky. I have a childlike sense of wonder. That's pretty much what you don't want to hear from anybody that you're about to fuck. (laughs) But he does it. 
and it's going to wind up working. And he gives her another fucking Kringle here at dinner. He pulls out a fucking book and he says he wrote a story. Again, this is in keeping with all the notes that not only him, but his little sister, the entire Vile family seems to communicate best when they're doing these notes, these very deliberately plotted writings, these dissertations on whatever the thing may be. So he pulls out this book and there are drawings in it. It's a fairy tale about a (laughs) princess named Andy and her journey on The Bachelor, their first meeting. It's all the different things, the kind of recap of their times together throughout the season. And we see this type of gift being given a lot as well. Sometimes it's a photo album. Sometimes it's hand-drawn pictures in a fairy tale book like Nick has done here. Andy says that she pictures him as a father reading the book to their children. The story culminates in him doing it. Love level four. Boom. I love you, he says. And this is really the final play that a player can make leading into the finals. Raising your love level to love level four is pretty much it. This is There's nowhere to go from that point on the love scale. Doing it right before Fantasy Suites is textbook. It's exactly where you want to do it, right before the Fantasy Suite card comes out. And that's right where he does it, under a palm tree. They kiss. He says, I'd love to do the Fantasy Suite with you. We're going to talk all night, he says. He's doing a couple of things in that line. He's conveying that they don't have to have sex. He's just interested in spending more time with her, which is not true. Obviously, they're going to have sex. But he also is revealing this idea that his biggest weapon is speech play. We can talk all night. He would love to do that because by that next morning, she would be a fucking zombie who would do anything he asked. (laughs) So they go to the fantasy suite. It's one of the only fantasy suites where we have confirmation that they fucked yeah and we'll we'll come to find out later that that may be one of his fatal flaws is his fucking game but this episode ends with chris souls getting kicked off before his fantasy sweep so the only remaining players now are josh murray and nick via as we head into finals week and even though they're guaranteed roses nick gets first flower rose ranking number one and now we have come to the finals a place Nick Vial has been three times, three times unsuccessfully. We're still in the Dominican Republic. And Nick is the first to meet Andy's family. He starts the day. He's nervous and awkward, quirky with that childlike sense of wonder that he loves to play up. He has a one-on-one with Andy's mom. And they talk about Andy's career. And Nick conveys to her mom, I would never hold her back. And he reiterates the sacred words. He tells Andy's mom that he loves her daughter. And she starts to tear up. He conjures mom tears in this moment. A huge play. He says, nothing will be a bigger priority to me than your daughter. I love her in ways I never thought I could love somebody. We talk often on this show about how there are four main love levels. You have love level one, I like you. Love level two, I'm starting to fall for you. Love level three, I'm falling for you. Love level four, I love you. In this moment, he insinuates a love level five. He loves Andy in a way that's beyond love. It's unimaginable love. 
Love that he didn't even know existed. Love that might be in a poorly crafted fairy tale book that a grown man drew. And he wins the mom over. Andy tells her sister about how their chemistry game is strong. Nick has a one-on-one with Andy's dad, who asks, what do you like about her? And Nick plays up their connection, this indescribable connection. She's all things to Nick. His dad asks, where's the future with all of this? Nick says, I know your daughter is it for me. And he asks for the blessing. The father grants the blessing to Nick. He approves of Nick as a great fit. Blessings, by the way, it should just be noted. They're really one of the only things that a bachelor has to get when they are the lead or the bachelorette if they go to the guy's hometowns. And so there is a statistical metric that's important in the history of our beloved game, how many blessings you get total, how many you get per opportunity. And here, this is the first time Nick has the opportunity to get a blessing and he fucking just gets it. This dad doesn't even fucking bat an eye. He's like, yes, absolutely. We would love to have you in the family. Here's our blessing. Please come into this family. Please be a part of this. He just fucking (laughs) whips this dad around to do whatever he wants. I've known your daughter for about two weeks. You mind if I marry her? Absolutely not. Please do. And he gets this from Caitlin as well. And then he uses this as sort of a PTC when he's on his own season, saying that he's gotten all these blessings before. He's got a basket of blessings and he feels guilty about it. After he gets the B, he and Andy go on their final date. They're off-roading. They have another picnic, huge in these final days, at a secret lagoon. And Nick reiterates everything that he said to her parents, that she will be his biggest priority. Later that night, they go to his hotel room. His brain is working too much at this point. He's nervous, he says, and he calls back fears from his prior engagement, reiterating that PTC of a broken, broken love. And he tells her that the wondering is the tough part. She assures him it's going to be all right. And Nick says she's giving him all the signs. He's very confident. He does something here that a lot of players do in their final days called real worlding, where he says, I can't wait to go grocery shopping with you. We've seen this from many players in the final days. Becca Kufrid infamously wanted to get a Costco membership with Gary Yeager and others want to go to Kmart. Often chain stores are, are used as part of real worlding. Nick does his final Kringle with Andy. He Kringles her with a necklace. Is it just a necklace? No. He went back after their date and he gathered some sand from the spot where he told her he loves her for the first time, where he upped to LL4 and he put that sand in a necklace. This is a very special Kringle. Now she's just got a basket of things that Nick has given her. Meanwhile, Josh, her other front runner, has just (laughs) continued to facepalm her and sweat all over her. When I saw that Kringle, all I could think was... There's not an amount of money on this earth that is too high for me to pay to have that necklace. (laughs) You want the vial vial of sand? Yes, I would wear it every day. (laughs) Oh my fucking God. (laughs) Have you ever given a lady a vial of sand? No. But I've never been in the situation that he's in. I've never been in a game like that. 
I think if I was trying to win some game and I knew Kringles worked, fuck yeah. I'd pull out all the stops. Kringles definitely worked. We recently saw Hannah Ann Kringling up a storm with Pee-Pee, giving him all her shitty art. In our next segment, Nick Vial hears a knock at the door. He thinks it's Neil Lane to pick out his ring. What would be his final Kringle to Andy? It's not Neil Lane. It's Andy. She comes in his room. He knows it's bad. He's seen every episode of Desiree's season. He knows exactly what's coming. She tells him she woke up and didn't feel that something was right, and she dumps him. And you can see it in his eyes here. It's not heartbreak. He's immediately calculating whether he's the next Bachelor or not. Andy offers this explanation, saying that she thinks that they overanalyze things together and basically that... (laughs) A life with him would be too neurotic for her to handle. And that's her reason to end it. He he has this look of surprise and disappointment at loss. But it's not about Andy crushing his heart. It's about him losing. And he says things in this moment that aren't the things that you would say to somebody that you love. He like blames her for saying things and doing things that took it too far. He thinks that she let him on. This is basically... He is giving a little preview of the slut shaming that he is going to do on After the Final Rose. But I also think it's at this point, he understands that right now what he needs to convey to the producers and to Bachelor Nation is that he is a victim. And I think that's what he's trying to do here. Ultimately, it will come off as slut shaming. But I think what he's trying to do in this moment, he's just not skilled enough yet at it, is paint himself as a victim. You led me on. You said things that took it too far. I'm a victim here. He's trying to get that bachelor crown. He then creates a visual imagery of his victimhood. He pulls out all of the roses that he's won over the course of this game from his suitcase and he throws them in the trash. It's a gorgeous TV moment. He only cares about victory supreme. All of these roses are trophies to him of making it through each round. He's held on to each of them, but they're all building to the final rose. And in that moment, he knows he can't get it. So fuck it. The whole game is invalidated to him. If you're not first, you're a fucking loser. And that's all he sees in this moment is he lost. After this dramatic moment, he gives his exit speech. He says, I feel like such a fool. She asked me to trust her about a lot of things. She obviously has feelings for Josh. I just thought we got each other. I was so confident in what we had. What is she doing? We had something. I really thought this was it. It's hard to swallow. I really thought she loved me. I was so looking forward to the family part with her. This is, again, real-worlding. He's conveying that he was for TRR, that they had something real, which is implicitly praising the process and victimizing himself in this same moment. He knows exactly what to do. And this is right before he's going to film the infamous Flight 3837 tapes where he calls his family when he's on the plane and in reality Steve's ex-girlfriend records him. And so here is Nick. Having gotten to second place, one round away from a victory, 
So he got that Fimpros. He got this taste of it. This is what the game is like. This is how you win. And he got so fucking close to that final goal that we know he's not satisfied. We know he's going to be coming back. And we start to see some of that in his after the final rows. Nick Vial gets a package put together by the producers of him in his hometown, getting back to the real world. And it's very similar to the packages they cut for bachelors that open the, their seasons to tell you who this guy is and whatever. And Nick Vial's there. He's at after the final rose when this package is playing, he's watching it. And he's thinking to himself, I should be bachelor. That's all he's fucking thinking in that moment. And he doesn't yet know where the road will take him that ultimately leads there. But that is his final goal. That is what it becomes in that moment, I am convinced. They do this segment that is a little confusing temporarily in the After the Final Rose, where they show a clip that is backstage at Andy's Mentel All, where Nick crashes it. Usually the two finalists are not, don't have anything to do with the Mentel All shooting. And he wants to talk to Andy before they're shooting it. And DLH is like, she's not ready to talk to you. She can't talk to you. Nick says that he's still in love with her. She doesn't want to talk to him face to face. So Nick hands DLH a letter for her to deliver, which is a post-mortem Kringle. Him again trying to use those words. How many fucking letters does this guy write? (laughs) It's incredible. He's a wordsmith. And then, flash forward to, we're now at After the Final Rose. We see that package. And then on stage, Nick Vial finally gets to see Andy Dorfman face-to-face. They have this infamous conversation in which Nick Vial utters the famous words, How could you make love to me if you were not in love with me? He didn't sing it. But in my head, it was a song. It was a beautiful fucking melody. It's one of the most infamous phrases from our game ever. And he tries to use it to paint himself as the final victim here, which ends up not working. But that's kind of the, that's the last moment we have of Nick Vial from Andy Dorfman's season. In total, this rookie season for Nick Vial was simply one of the best played seasons we have ever seen. Yes, he did not win the ring. He did not even win the crown immediately after this season. But what he did do is establish himself within the context of the game as one of the greatest players, as someone who will work with the producers as a fan favorite, and as somebody who can play an adversarial game against the other players, but still not become a villain, which is a extremely fucking hard thing to do. Usually once that player emerges as the person who's not there to make friends, that person gets cast as a villain and they're fucking out within a week or two because the pressure of the house will decay whatever relationship they have with the bachelor or bachelorette. He stretched his love levels out over nine different periods of time. He goes from love level one, I have a crush, all the way to implicitly creating love level five, saying I love you in ways I never thought I could love somebody He PTCs about his broken engagement. He steals when he already has roses at cocktail parties. He has 21 total kisses with Andy. That's a pretty high number. And four total rounds of tears. And again, 1.77 RQ. 
extremely good. So this season is part of the body of work Nick Vial has put together. He is clearly an all-star, and we thought it was very important, especially given that Nick Vial's Bachelor season is going to be the next episode of the Bachelor Goat series on ABC. We thought it was good to give you guys a little history of how this started, because we assume they'll show maybe a clip or two from this season on his goat episode, but they ain't going to do what we just did. No. They ain't going to break it down for you in terms of play by play, why he was so good. I bet they'll just show Andy and Caitlin dumping him. You're not going to find out about his week six knock knock. And as we know, after this season, he went on to Caitlin Bristow's season bachelor in paradise and he became the bachelor. He is, in my opinion, the greatest player who's ever lived, at least statistically. Uh, no one comes close to the things he's done. This first season, it really illustrates it all. It gives you an idea of where he's going to go as a player, but many of the basic skills required to play the game at a very high level are already present in his rookie season, and he is using them at extremely high levels. The Kringle game, really the interrupting of somebody else's one-on-one time at a cocktail party with a delivery of fucking flowers is, it's crazy. And especially in the game standards at that time. Now we have things like Champagne Gate, producer manufactured events during cocktail parties and all this stuff. That shit wasn't happening yet with him. He was kind of inventing some of this stuff or at least taking things that had just started happening in the game and boosting them up to a new level. It was fascinating to go back and look at this season for us and really break it down. We hope you guys enjoyed it. His final Rose rankings were... Night one, Fimp Rose, zero. Week one, nine. Week two, one-on-one, zero. Week three, group date, one. Week four, group date, two. Week five, one-on-one, zero. Week six, group date, zero. Hometowns, three. Fantasy Suites, one. His final RQ was 1.77. Well, there you have it. That is Nick Vile's rookie season. We are going to be doing some more of these all-star things where we break down a player's run through various historic seasons as time goes on yeah we hope you enjoyed it that's all we have for you this episode thank you so much for joining us for our game of roses state of the world for our bachelor nation news our parasocial play of the week of course for descending with us into the pit where we talked about our own deaths and the ramifications it would have for this podcast which is obviously very important (laughs) and thank you for being with us for our first ever Game of Roses All-Stars. We're excited to keep doing that segment from time to time and highlighting the greatest players from the history of our game. And before we go, just a little note about the dark seasons. Stay tuned. We may have some news about them in the very near future. A little note? That's a huge note. Uh, We'll see. We'll see. But thank you guys for sending in everything, as you always do. So many good tidbits and weird things about what's going on in Bachelor Nation. We did get a bunch of stuff about Victoria Fuller and the Monat hair care products this week (laughs) that led us on a hunt to find more information for Bachelor Nation news. But um, thanks again for everything, and we will see you next week. Before we go, what's the dwab at? It has been 6,727 days without a black bachelor. Praise be Lord Harrison. Please rate this podcast. Please review this podcast. 
Please get a friend to listen to us and then please rate this podcast. Please review this podcast. Please get a friend to listen to us and then please rate this podcast. Please review this podcast. Please get a friend to listen to us and then. Have you ever experienced a dry, itchy scalp or ever wondered why your color isn't lasting as long as your hairdresser promised? Well, unfiltered, mineral-filled water could be the reason why. Did you know hard water is a leading cause of damaged hair and dry, irritated skin? And that about 85% of the United States uses hard water filled with dissolved minerals and added chlorine. That's where Canopy's new filtered showerhead comes in. Known for their beauty hacks and reimagined humidifier, Canopy is dermatologist-recommended This unique three-stage filtration system greatly reduces contaminants and odors in your shower water. Best of all, the Canopy filtered showerhead is hassle-free, installation's a breeze, and its unique quick-release filter replacement feature allows for seamless filter replacement. Go to Canopy.co to save $25 on your Canopy filtered showerhead purchase today with Canopy's hassle-free filter subscription. Even better, Gore listeners can use our code ROSES at checkout to save an additional 10% off your Canopy purchase. Hurry, your hair and skin will thank you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. 